184. 1,184. I'll be reading verses 12 through 22, and our focus will be on verses 16 through 18. These are all kind of concluding uh, words from Paul as he, again, as he likes to do, move from that uh, indicative, which means that he, he shows the truth of the Word of God into what is called the imperative, the commands, the, um, the, thing, the outcomes, the ways we should react and live according to that word, in line with it. And so, we looked at the last time I was with you, six weeks ago, verses 12 through 15, and so we'll now look at verses 16 through 18. Let us hear now God's holy word. But we request of you, brethren... That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the weak, or encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays Another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all the people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So far, reading in God's holy word. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. O gracious and merciful God and Father, we know that these words are words that would remain black and white and on the page if it were not for you and the work that you do in our lives. And so take these words, write them in our minds, and transform our lives that we may live lives of joy and of peace, and filled with that Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoice always in everything. Be thankful. Do those words strike you? They are probably one of the hardest words, hardest commands to obey, aren't they? Rejoice always. Rejoice, meaning to have or express joy or happiness always. Give thanks in everything. Give thanks when life is miserable. Give thanks when I have lost my job. 
rejoice when there seems to be nothing good on the horizon for me. Rejoice when I've lost a loved one. Rejoice when I've been diagnosed with some sort of chronic disease. Give thanks, really, when I'm persecuted for the faith? Yet, to me, this actually seems like a distinctly Christian characteristic. In fact, just recently I was speaking with a couple who had lost a child. And the very thing that they were doing in the midst of tears was giving thanks to God even though they had lost their son. They were rejoicing in the hope that they had in Christ Jesus despite their grief. And so when Paul commands these things, is he just saying, turn that frown upside down, guys. Put on a happy face. Pretend. Is that what Paul is telling us to do? Is be like the hypocrites? Can one read such commands? One can read such commands. And if we don't have a good understanding of these things, do that very thing. Become hypocrites. Become disheartened. Maybe even ask those questions. Am I really a Christian because I am grieving? I am hurting. For some of you, you may have come to worship this morning with much on your mind. Hurts in your hearts. Worries and anxieties of the past week. Or maybe you look at your life and where you are excessively burdened beyond strength, where you despair even for life. How is one supposed to get our emotions in line with these commands to rejoice always? In every circumstance, in every situation, to be thankful, to pray continually? How can we live In light of this command. It's vital too, isn't it? Because this is the will of God, Paul says. This is the very will of God for us. Not just for the Thessalonian church. But for the church of Jesus Christ in every place, in every age, and in every circumstance. And so let's explore that very question this morning. As we look at Paul's call to Christian character continually. So first of all, we will see rejoice. Secondly, we will see pray. And thirdly, we will look at give thanks. So first of all, as we look at these commands, let's take a moment because it's easy to forget after six weeks since I've been away from you who Paul is writing to. Paul gives this command, rejoice always, To the church of Thessalonica who is under severe persecution. And so Paul isn't telling this church that is in this great and happy place already. Just go ahead, rejoice, give thanks. And so this church is suffering. And here he gives them this command to rejoice. Now, some might accuse Paul of being a Stoic. And you may not know what a Stoic is, but 
Here's the teaching of one of the Stoics from the second century, or a quote from a man from the second century. He says, show me a man who, though sick, is happy, though in danger, is happy, though dying, is happy, though condemned to exile, is happy, though in disrepute, is happy. Show him by the gods. I would fain see a Stoic. In other words, if he is able to see somebody who is happy in the midst of all these difficult things, he would say, that's got to be a Stoic. That's got to be someone who is in the line with the Stoic philosophy. Yet, the happiness or the joy of the Stoic was not found in a personal God, but in faith. Fate was uncontrollable, and so why get flustered? Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, and so the only thing I can control is my attitude, and so I'm just going to put on a happy face. And so why make the situation worse by responding in these ways? And so is Paul just telling us to have this this fake joy? To, To say whatever will be, will be. And so let's just put on a happy face. See, Paul is calling the Christian to a joy rooted in something much greater than fate. Whatever will be, will be. Not some impersonal God, but a personal God. And the Thessalonians have already been experiencing this joy, even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances. The joy isn't coming from their flesh or from being dispassionate about their circumstances. Instead, it's rooted in that word and in the spirit. Look again at verse 6 of chapter 1 again. Notice what he says about that joy. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy that comes always is not something that's natural to us. It isn't something that we are prone to in our sinful humanity. We may have Joy, partially in the things of this earth, but it isn't going to be lasting. It isn't going to be permanent. But a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is that which brings lasting joy. It's rooted in that work of God. It's rooted in the salvation of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that when there's trouble in this life, which we know it will come, We can have joy in the midst of those circumstances, not because of those circumstances. Even through tears, we have that hope when a loved one dies in the Lord. Even Christ, knowing the joy set before him, endured the cross that we might share with him in life everlasting. So beloved, 
How do we have this joy when we are sorrowful and in trouble, when we are pressed, persecuted, and stressed? Well, Paul doesn't see a conflict in these things like we do. Again, just think about that sorrow and the grief when a loved one dies. And yet, in the midst of that, that hope can arise in us a joy. We grieve because we miss them. Because they have been taken away from us for a time. We grieve because death is an enemy. And yet, we have hope for eternal life. The fullness of salvation. And so we can still rejoice. We can have that joy mixed with grief. Joy in the midst of tears. Think about the words of Peter to the pilgrims and aliens that were also facing all kinds of trials. It says there, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, or though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of our souls. See, even here, Peter expresses that these trials, these difficulties, and the same with John, only, or James, only accomplishes God's good purposes. This will never make sense to an unbeliever. But to those who have the Holy Spirit, it is the greatest joy. But Paul doesn't stop there. The joy that is in the Christian ought to be always there. But he also says, pray without ceasing. And so Paul is well known for coming to the end of his letters with these whole smattering of commands. And they can sometimes feel like, Paul is just writing down some quick thoughts at the end of his letter. Maybe as if the postman is just around the corner. And so as uh, he's been told he's coming, Paul's quickly writing down his last little bit of thoughts just as fast as he can before the postman comes. However, notice there's a certain theme to these commands. Just like the previous one where he calls them to live at peace and there's a connection with all those commands that follow to promote peace within that community of faith. Now here Paul is giving these lasting and enduring character of a believer. The believer is a person who has joy in all circumstances. He's purchased by Christ, protected by the Father, and so no one can snatch us out of the hand, and so our joy cannot be taken away. But the believer also knows that he is completely dependent upon God. 
A believer cannot, uh, cannot go without God. And so a person, a Christian, who is dependent and knows that he's dependent, prays without ceasing. And so, of course, we're going to ask that question. Can a person ever commit every single moment of their life, whether they are awake or asleep, to praying? Of course not. And Kelvin understands this to be, in many respects, as that same, to be understood in the same way as rejoiced always. In other words, in every circumstance, whether prosperity or poverty. For of course, we are so prone to turn to God when things are going horribly, when things are going bad, when we need something. But a Christian that knows his entire life is dependent upon God turns to him in every circumstance. A Christian's life is marked by prayer. We ought to be people who are known as people who pray. Just think, if our joy comes because of that Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ taught us to pray and seek the Father for that Holy Spirit. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you, fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Luke 11. If our joy comes from the Holy Spirit, from that enduring word, and God is pleased to answer our prayers, then shouldn't we be acting, praying, asking God to act in this way? See, prayer is that ordinary means by which God chooses to move and act. They are not outside of God's sovereign will. And we are as people, we are as children who go to the Father, both in the midst of trouble and in blessing. If he has given us his Son, will he not freely give us all things? But Paul goes on, verse 18, in everything, give thanks. You cannot help but recognize the similarities between this passage and Philippians chapter 4. Both the themes of peace, rejoicing always, praying and thanksgiving. So too, Paul here shows how we ought to give thanks to God as those who are dependent upon him. In every circumstance, we show him gratitude, even in the painful and the pretty, in the sorrowful and the cheerful. And we can confess that God will bring about his good pleasure through these things. 
And so we can be thankful people. This ought to be a part of the continual Christian character. So as we conclude, we do so with these final words that explain why we should do those, these commands. He says, for this is the will of God. This is God's will for you. Do you want to do what God wants you to do? Rejoice then in his grace given to us in Christ Jesus. Always. What does God want you to do? Rest in his power and his love by turning to him in the good and the bad, showing your utter dependence upon him in prayer. The reality is that every moment you are in need, not just when you feel it, and he's the one who upholds you, and he loves you in Christ Jesus. What does God want you to do? Be thankful. Be thankful for his grace. Be thankful for what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Praise his name. Bless his name. Exalt his name. Giving thanks to him for that work of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and merciful God and Father, again, we do not tire of looking to you, looking to you in all circumstances and in every place. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to continually have this Christian character, that we would always rejoice, that we would in every circumstance give thanks, and that we would be a people of prayer, of those who are dependent upon you for all things. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn now to number 510, we'll sing number 510 together.
It is our great God who sends us away with his blessing from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.